you have your Bible with you this morning, I invite you to join me in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 21 through 43. Mark 5, verses 21 through 43. I love today's passage. Today's passage actually contains two stories, but these two stories literally run into each other as we read our way through the verses. One exists within the other, and I believe that Mark has masterfully woven these stories together so that together they teach us a single lesson about the power of God available in every one of our lives. Our text is Mark 5, 21 to 43, and I'm going to read it section by section as we make our way through. So this is one of those Sundays where it's really helpful to keep your Bible open so you can follow along as we go. But before we do, would you join me in a brief word of prayer? Our Lord, we are so thankful to be gathered together here in this space, to be able to sing about you, to offer you worship. We acknowledge your presence here in this space. We are so thankful for your invitation to worship and that we have this space and these people to gather with each week as we do. We thank you as well for the gift of scripture, especially the gospels. And I pray that in these next few minutes as we look at these two stories and the power of what they teach, that you give each of us eyes to see just what you want us to see. That you give us hearts that are soft and ready to receive whatever you choose to reveal and that you give us conviction that is strong so we can apply what we see and understand to the way we live every day. I pray all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our stories begin with a request in verses 21 through 24. I'll begin reading in 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus... He fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Once again, in this morning's text, we find Jesus beside a lake. And once again, we find Jesus with a large crowd gathered around him. In the midst of that time on the side of the lake, whether Jesus was already performing miracles or simply teaching again about the kingdom of God, a Jewish leader named Jairus emerges from the crowd, falls at Jesus' feet, and pleads earnestly for the life of his daughter. She is sick, so sick that she is going to die. And Jairus believes Jesus can heal her. He simply states to Jesus, if you would just lay your hands on her. She will live. She will be healed. Jairus' request alone reveals that he has a faith in Jesus' power. Now, there's no reply recorded from Jesus, but we are told that Jesus went with him. And as they journey together, it leads us to a touch in verses 25 to 29. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. 
As Jesus made his way to Jairus' home, the crowd decided to come along, and something really interesting happens. We have to imagine this crowd pressed in around Jesus, all of them moving collectively down the road. And this woman, who had wrestled with some form of a bleeding illness for 12 years, she's hiding within the crowd. We're told she concealed herself. And as she traveled along with them, she wonders, if I just touch his clothes, maybe I will be healed. Now, we might be tempted to look at what she does and the way she's thinking about this as something less than faith, more like superstition, right? She's just thinking to herself, maybe this will work. Maybe I should try this. But I love what one commentator said. They said, this is faith. It's just faith that isn't yet fully developed. It was faith that made her leave her home that day. It was faith that made her conceal herself inside of that crowd. And it was faith that led her to reach out her hand we might be tempted to say, well, why didn't she just ask Jesus like Jairus? What was she afraid of? Well, in their culture, her bleeding made her unclean. She should not have been among this crowd. That is why she concealed herself, not to hide from Jesus, but to hide from those around her who knew her ailment, knew she was considered unclean, and felt that she needed to be far away from the rest of them. That's why she was concealed. And yet in that concealment, she approached Jesus we're told her fingertip brushes the edge of his cloak and then immediately, and immediately is one of Mark's favorite words in his gospel, immediately she felt in her body she was free from her suffering. All of this leads to a question in verses 30 to 34. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowded against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Who touched my clothes? I imagine Jesus' loud voice silencing that crowd in a moment. Everyone stopping right where they were, wondering what was next. Is this more teaching that's coming from Jesus? And yet, there was some volume in this. He had their attention as he asked his question. You see, Jesus had felt something in his body, too. He had felt healing power leave his body when he was touched. His disciples are incredulous. You almost get the sense they're making fun of Jesus. They said, Jesus, look around. Look at this crowd. You're telling me that you felt someone touch your cloak while we were walking through this crowd. How can you ask that? And they actually form a fascinating contrast with the woman's faith. These are the disciples, the ones who've chosen to follow after Jesus, who are declaring to others that Jesus has power, and yet they're a bit incredulous at Jesus knowing anything about this, while the woman creeps up to Jesus just wondering if maybe the power could be received in this way. Yet Jesus is unfazed. He keeps looking around, and the woman finally cracks. She comes before Jesus. She falls before Jesus. She confesses that it was her, and we're told she is filled with fear. You see, her anonymity was now spoiled. Her identity had now been highlighted and revealed for everyone there in the crowd, and we're told she fears punishment. Sure punishment, perhaps, from the crowds, 
And maybe she wonders if there is punishment to come from Jesus. Yet Jesus expresses tender compassion. He calls her daughter. It's the only time that Jesus used this term of affection with anyone throughout his earthly ministry. And as he looks into her eyes, he says, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Make no mistake, the power belonged to Jesus, but her faith became the channel for that power. But remember, we have two stories going on, don't we? Not just this one story. It's so easy to get consumed in this second story, isn't it? Because it is so dramatic. She, concealed within the crowd, reaching out to his hem, receiving healing, hearing grace from Jesus. It's an all-consuming story, right? But we have to remember Jairus. That's where we started. Jairus was the one who also emerged from a crowd, who fell before Jesus, asked for the healing, and remember his situation was imminent. His daughter's death was imminent, and Jesus had agreed to go with him, and it was in the midst of them traveling to Jairus' house that this other scene opened up. Jairus, standing right beside Jesus while all of this other story is unfolding. Can you imagine what it was like to be Jairus? You need to get Jesus to your daughter. He probably wanted to grab Jesus' arm and move him along if he could find a way to do that because he needed Jesus' power not to be here, not in this crowd, not on this woman, but on his loved one, the one he had summoned Jesus to heal. So he stands there, he waits there while Jesus does all of this, hoping it's not too late for Jesus' power to work in his daughter's life as well. And it's then, in the midst of that moment, that the news arrives in verses 35 to 43. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Jairus' servants bring the news, and it's the worst kind of news. It's too late. Your daughter has died. And they add, why bother the teacher anymore? And that addition is interesting because it indicates that they felt death was beyond Jesus. Maybe they believed Jesus could heal the daughter while there was still breath in her lungs, but once that breathing stopped, the end of Jesus' power came. They did not believe Jesus had power over life and death. Imagine that moment, however, when the news came to Jairus. He stood in Jesus' presence knowing that perhaps it was too late. But then, hear the words of Jesus. Don't be afraid. Just believe. 
And if you look closely at your text, those weren't words that Jesus shouted to the crowd. Those were words that Jesus offered specifically to Jairus. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And so they leave the crowd behind. Only Jairus, Jesus, Peter, James, and John head to Jairus' home. And as they arrive, they enter into a scene of loud grief and mourning, which was the normal cultural practice in their day when someone would pass away. And Jesus says to them, why are you doing this? The child's not dead, but asleep. And he laughed at him. How striking is that? It wasn't just that they didn't believe, they laughed at him. His misunderstanding of reality his inability to grasp what had taken place. There was no recognition whatsoever of Jesus' authority, of Jesus' power. And I think that's why Jesus put them out of the room. You notice that immediately after they laugh, Jesus puts them out. You just lost your chance to witness a miracle, to experience something, because you didn't even have the capacity to listen with a straight face when I told you about what I was about to do. He puts them out of the room, he walks over to this young girl, and he says, Talitha kum, which is Aramaic for little girl, I tell you to stand up. So she stood up, she began to walk around, and those who were still privileged to be in that space are completely astonished. Here's what I think is amazing about these two stories and the way that Mark weaves them together. They help us to see that every single one of us, no matter who we are, no matter our life circumstances, no matter the experiences we've had, our current station in life, we are eligible for the power of God to work in our lives. I think we're masters at disqualifying ourselves. We look around the world and we can see God at work in different ways. We don't completely understand the way that works, but we see him work in this person's life and that person's life and sit in our own life and wonder, what would it feel like? What would it be like if God worked in my life in that same way? But I think we're masters at disqualifying ourselves. Well, that wouldn't happen to me. I'm too old. That wouldn't happen to me. I'm too young. That wouldn't happen to me because I've done this or that. We find ways to disqualify ourselves and even sometimes to disqualify the people around us. But when I look at these two stories held together, woven together in this way, it helps us to see that anyone and everyone in existence made in the image of God is eligible for the work of God, the power of God to be set loose in their lives. Because when you look at these two people, Jairus and this woman, they could not be more different than they are. They cover the range of humanity. Consider Jairus for a moment, he was male. And to be male in their society was something far more significant than it is in our society. They were privileged in a way that we don't even experience today even in the midst of our inequity. So he had all that privilege. He also had financial resources, enough for everything he needed and the rest of the people around him. He was a leader within their religious system. He was considered righteous in the way that he lived and the things that he practiced. He was bold in his approach to Jesus, unashamed completely, standing before the entire crowd as he made his request. And he was named a person in history, Jairus. We know there was a Jairus who was a synagogue leader who did just this. And yet then consider this woman, female, in a society that oppressed women in tremendous ways destitute, without the finances that she needed to support herself, an outcast within their culture, considered unclean by their religious system. 
shamed by that, and so afraid to come to Jesus and make her request. And to this day, she remains completely anonymous, not named in any of our Gospels. When you look at those two laid side by side, you can see they could not be more different than they are, and yet each of them was open to the work of God. Each of them open to Jesus and his power having its way in their life, bringing this blessing of healing and restoration. It's so little in common. Uh, maybe just that they were in need of hope and healing. Maybe that they were simply out of options. And yet Jesus' power moved each of them from fear and despair to faith and healing and restoration. So how about us? We know that we live in a world in need of healing and restoration. And maybe as you sit here in the pews today, you can think of the parts of you that need that same healing and restoration. Well, I want to tell you today, you are eligible for the work of God in that way. Not a single soul sitting in this room is ineligible for the grace and the compassion and the power of God to work in your life. As you sit here today and imagine the healing you need, whatever kind it is, can you, in your mind, imagine what it feels like for Jesus to freely offer that, to freely give that to you, for you to have that small piece of faith that's big enough to invite God to have his way and to work his way to heal and transform you. I encourage you to sit with this text this week. Read it through a few more times. Find another translation and see what it highlights for you about Jesus and his interaction with these two people. Use the questions that are in your bulletin to dig a little bit deeper into the story. And as you do, I want you to imagine yourself standing face to face with Jesus, just as Jairus did, and hearing him say to you, don't be afraid, just believe. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we imagine standing before you as Jairus did. See in the look on your face, the compassion in your eyes, the confidence in the power that you have to heal and transform. And on any timetable, not the one that we think is possible, but that everyone is possible with you. We come before you as those who follow you, those who trust you. And we think about our lives, the areas where we are in need of a healing that is beyond our own strength, beyond any of the resources that we have in this world, the one that is possible with you. God, give us the faith to trust. Remind us day in and day out that you love us enough to listen, you are powerful enough to heal and transform. And as we offer you these lives, broken in whatever ways they are, we eagerly await the transformation that you can bring. We pray all of these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.